Good morning. Let's take our Bibles out, if you have one with you, please, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. As uh, you turn there, it's my privilege to be up in South Carolina yesterday as our college resident, Ryan Toller, uh, got hitched. He got married yesterday, so be excited for him to return and for you to meet his new wife, Hannah, uh, as they move back here after the honeymoon. So exciting time for them. Lots of our college students up there celebrating with him in South Carolina. So with our Bibles in hand, let's declare as we have been now, uh, really for, for months since we began this section in 1 Thess 5, not a ritual, but a readiness to receive God's word. Declare this with me. This is God's word. His heart revealed. I humbly declare his ways are higher than my ways and his thoughts are higher than my thoughts. I will not lean on my own understanding, but incline my heart now to receive his word so that I may excel still more in filling the earth with his glory by walking in his truth and loving all people as he has loved me. And we've been declaring in worship already this morning our desire to love as we have been loved. But I want us to remember, why do we say in this readiness to receive the scriptures that we would excel still more. That expression comes straight from our text back in chapter 4, when Paul had written, finally, not because he was finished, he still had two full more chapters, but because he was moving a transition from remembering when he had been there in Thessalonica with them to what his desire was for them in the days ahead. And here's what he says, finally, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you have received from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, and watch this, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. You see, I want to remind us that, that Paul is writing to them, not admonishing them for rebellion. They were a church that was receiving the scriptures, and not perfectly, but living in obedience to the scriptures, and he wanted to encourage them in their growing. I was just really reminded this week, as I read that again, I'm grateful to declare that's, that's really my experience here at CFC. We're not perfect. And every once in a while, we, we needed an admonishment but the vast experience that I have with you as a congregation here at Christian Family Chapel is folks who desire to please the Lord and want to excel in it. What a pleasure. What a privilege to be part of a body that doesn't need the constant kick in the pants. You, you love the scriptures not perfectly, but you love the Lord. Not perfectly, uh, but I have that sense that you want to please the Lord in your lives, in your marriage, in your family. You want to please the Lord in this community. You want to be a part of what God is doing. And so when we say, let's excel still more, this is not the admonition of the rebellious. It's the encouragement of the growing. And that's really who CFC is. Uh, the encouragement of the growing. And so let me just remind us, here's how we've been encouraged to be growing in recent weeks. We've been encouraged in verse 16 of chapter 5 to grow in our joy, that it be a joy that is always, at, at all times, to be encouraged in our praying that it's not sporadic, it's just not foxhole prayers, it's, it's a praying at all times without ceasing. That in our thanksgiving, it's in everything. Not just when circumstances are good, and our praise night, what a sweet time on Tuesday night as we declared, God, thank you, and we named our hard. Not a person, <laughs> but there's hard, and to thank God in it. To grow in our 
being filled with the Spirit, not quenching the Spirit. To, to be reminded, as we were this morning in worship, that, that the Spirit of God lives in us. And that as the Spirit of God lives in you, he lives in you so that his life and his work would be done through you. And that you wouldn't resist it or quench it or keep it from happening, but that you'd be wide open to be filled with the Spirit so that the work of God would be accomplished through you. You would be growing and not quenching that. Last week, to, to be reminded to be growing and not despising prophetic utterances. To receive the word of God for what it really is. The word of God, unparalleled in truth and in power that really does change our lives. So, just as a reminder as we head into this Christmas season. This is not a, an admonishment for the rebellious but an encouragement for the growing. Keep growing in these areas. And now he's going to add for us three more encouragements this morning. From verse 21, but examine everything carefully. Second, hold fast to that which is good. And third, in verse 22, abstain from every form of evil. So that's encouragement for us that we keep growing by examining, holding fast, and abstaining. Now let's take them one by one. First, all things examine. I say it that way because that's the way it says it in the original language. It's very interesting to see it written out in that order. We make it more readable, but in the original language it says this, all things examine. To the good, hold fast. To every form of evil, abstain. So it gives you the verb, if you will, that as we're growing, what do we do? We examine, we hold fast, and we abstain. And then he clarifies what we should examine. He says, all things. But I think when he says all things, he actually has a specific category of all things. And I think that because when we interpret and read our Bibles, I encourage you, always read according to what is written around it. So, what did he just say before he says, all things examine? Right there, what's he say? He says, to, to a, don't despise prophetic utterances. So, First, to, to examine, I should have told you. Examine, I always want to give us a definition. To test for rightness, to approve. My bad. To test for rightness, to approve. It's what you do when you pick up your rental car before you drive it away. Right? They tell you, hey, walk around it. If you see any dings, let us know now because if you bring it back with one, it's on you. So you're approving. It's in good condition. It's what you've seen people do at a restaurant when they order a bottle of wine and they bring it out and they take the cork out. And then I don't think 95% of the people know what they're doing. They've just seen somebody else do it, right? They pour it and they hand it to them and they think, what am I supposed to do? Oh, I'm supposed to swirl it. I don't know why, but I've seen somebody else swirl. And then I sniff it like I can really tell anything, but I'm going to sniff it. And then what am I going to do? Take a these and then I give the nod. Yes, yes, and my great expertise, yes. You're testing for rightness. You know what he's doing? He's saying, that's what I want you to do with things. I want you to swirl, sniff it, give it the taste test, and then give it the nod of approval. Specifically, I think he means, in regards to what I just was saying, that when it comes to prophetic utterances, when it comes to God's word. He says, don't despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully. Meaning, when somebody says it's from God, what should you do? You should swirl it, sniff it, and go, does it really sound like God, smell like God, taste like God? I should make sure He's saying, when he says examine everything, he's saying examine what is taught as God's word. Is it really God's word? That's, it, that's specifically what he wants us to examine. 
Don't despise prophetic utterances. All things examine. Now, is there really such a thing as fake news? Yeah, we're not going there. It's an illustration purposes only. Is there such a thing as fake sermons? Okay, you see the parallel? That which is declared as God said it, but if somebody would take the time and actually look at the scriptures, they may go, huh, God didn't say that. I've heard a lot of other people say it, but God didn't actually say it. There are fake sermons. It's actually really one of the reasons I encourage you to bring your Bible. Because have you noticed that every once in a while, I'll give you a fake verse? Yeah, just to keep you on your toes to go, hey, people say stuff that sounds right but isn't right because they said it, not God. So Christian Family Chapel, let's keep growing by making sure that which is said that God said, he actually said. Swirl it. Give it the nod. That's, that's what he wants us to do. And to, if it really is, then, if he said it, this connects the two verses, then don't despise it. And if you weren't here last week, real quick, despising it doesn't mean, well, if it's God's word, don't spit on it, don't throw it on the trash. We despise God's word by ignoring it. So if it is God's word, then... Don't ignore it. And if God said it, don't despise it by equating it with what? With what you think or what other people wrote. And if God said it, don't despise it by only hearing it. But you hear my point. I hope you're capturing it. Don't despise prophetic utterances. All things examined, test for rightness. In other words, you cannot respond rightly to the word of God until you are confident it is the word of God. And when you have given it the sniff, swirl, nod of approval, then don't ignore it or equate it as something else that you've heard. And don't despise it by hearing it and not doing it. Man, when you have determined God said it, Act like you believe that God said it, right? Get it here. But you can't know if you don't examine. So we put the scripture up here, but I encourage you, bring a copy of the scriptures, read it, go home, read it again. If I make a reference to a passage, go and make sure it really is what God said. Because... I hope it would not be true here, but it's certainly true lots of places. I know. I grew up there. If God didn't say it, don't give it authority like he did. Hey, it might be good human wisdom, but put it in the category of human wisdom, not divine authority. Is there a difference? Yeah, human wisdom. You may go, mm, I'm going to listen, I'm going to weigh, divine authority, I'm going to obey. Not weigh, I'm going to obey. Is this a real issue? Or did it ever really, you responded in the affirmative a moment ago. Is it possible that people stand on stages like this all across our country, all across our world, and say stuff? that God said that he didn't actually say? Yes. And, and it's not new. Jesus confronted it. The Pharisees and some of the scribes, see, here's where you can read it just to test it. The Pharisees and some of the scribes gathered around him when they had come from Jerusalem and had seen that some of his disciples were eating their bread with impure hands. That is unwashed, not taught very well by their mama. For the Pharisees and all the Jews, way beyond mama here, do not eat unless they carefully wash their hands, thus observing the traditions of the elders. And when they 
come from the marketplace, they don't eat unless they cleanse themselves. And there are many other things which they have received in order to observe, such as the washing of cups and pitchers and copper pots. The Pharisees and the scribes ask him, that is Jesus, Jesus, why do your disciples not walk according to the traditions of the elders, but eat their bread with impure hands? Why aren't they doing what we said, God said? Here's Jesus' answer. Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They talk a good talk, but when it comes to who they really love and what they really love, it's not me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of man. There it is. Fake sermons. Teaching as doctrines. Teaching as the word of God, the precepts of man. And here's the the outflow. Neglecting the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men. See, when you start to teach... My thoughts versus God's word, and I begin to teach my thoughts as authority as if God said them, then inevitably this becomes subservient to this. And that's bad for me and bad for you, especially bad for me. So I need to teach accurately and you need to examine carefully to not take that which God has not said and act and speak like he said now this may bother some of you but I grew up being taught the whole swirl sniff stuff I, bit, I, I grew up being taught that God said things about this, alcohol, that actually, when I got older and lived in obedience to examine carefully, I went, it's not there. There was some human wisdom, but that human wisdom was taught as the commandment of God. And I didn't know. I thought God said it. I was taught the same thing about movies and the theater. Now, some of you are thinking, are you serious? Oh, yeah. This, go into the theater, very clearly the scripture said, don't do that. Unless it was like Corey Ten Boom in the hiding place. Then it was okay. Can't go. Star Wars, whoo, no way. This will bug some of you. The smoke of hell. Yeah, see, you think so. Tradition of men, that's right. Not the commandment of God. Now I know, it stinks. I agree. Hey, now some of you are going, are you serious? This is the scripture says. Is a commandment of God issue? No, there's principle, but a commandment of God issue? See, folks, don't misunderstand me. I am not, hear me clearly, I am not here advocating for things this morning, except this. I'm advocating for know what God says. And if he said it, Let's not dare despise it. And if he didn't say it, let's not say that he did. Because when we say that he did, when he didn't, we are going down the path of neglecting what he did say so that we can obey what he didn't say. That's how it goes. Jesus faced it. Jesus confronted it, he called it what it was, 
And I want to encourage us. We grow in to what God has for us when we know what he says and we treat it with a divine authority and, what, and we know what he didn't say. And we learn from wisdom. But we don't equate man's wisdom, traditions of men, with God's word. Because when we do, here's what happens. When we say God said things he actually didn't say, we end up undermining the things he actually did say. I don't have time to unpack this story, but this will sound crazy to you. One of the profound moments for my neighbor years ago was helping him understand the gospel by him understanding what the Bible actually said about this. He had me over for dinner. He wasn't a believer. We were having a steak, and it got uncomfortable, and I went, uh, if you'd like to have a glass of wine, that's, have at it. And he goes, I've always wondered, what's the Bible actually say about alcohol? Do you know how clarifying it is to be able to define the gospel, how we really are made right with God by when we declare what he said and we don't add all the other things that he had kind of heard growing up with, and this gets confused with how a person is saved? Because I was told this and this is the highway to hell. God didn't say that. So let's not act like he did. And undermine what he did. Because when we add to what he said, we undermine what he actually did. When we add to what he said, we undermine what he said about the gospel. Are you tracking with me, folks? This really matters that we take what you hear in here that you take what you hear when you're listening to whoever you might end up listening to because, man, you can read anything and listen to anything today. And if there is ever a time when we have just piles of information right at our fingertips at any moment of every day, it's more than ever we have to be committed to go, did God say that? I rarely ever don't stop on somebody when they say, you know, the Bible says, and I go, oh, just remind me, where does he say that? And he may have said it. I just want him to make sure they can declare where he said it. Because if you say the Bible said it, you ought to be able to say, here's where it says it. I need to teach accurately. You need to examine carefully. Because we can't respond to the word of God appropriately until we know it's the word of God, really. Then, then, then we can do this. To the good, hold fast. You see the connection? Uh, until we have examined carefully, we don't know what to hold on to and not let go of. But once we know God has said it, God has declared it, man, I can put my iron grip on it and go, I don't care what anybody else says. I don't where our culture is headed. God has said it. I am not letting go of it. I'm not going to, in our vernacular, lose my grip. And I don't have to be a prophet to declare our culture has lost its grip on that which is good, right? So friends, if we can abundantly see that our culture has lost its grip on what is good, we have to ask ourselves of we who live in it, what's going to keep us from doing the same thing? And it will only be I'm going to pack, come back to this now. It will only be our commitment to everything, all things, examine. And when he declares it's good, when he declares it's right, then 
Don't let go, CFC. Don't let go of what you believe and what you know the scripture has declared about marriage. Do not let go about what the scripture and what God has declared about sexuality. Do not let go just because our culture has lost its grip. It's harder. When the current's flowing, it's harder to keep your grip. Stuff gets ripped out of your hands in a strong current. And we're living in strong current. So, get it. Don't despise prophetic utterances. How do I know if they're prophetic? (laughs) Examine carefully. And when you see that God has said it, grip it. Paul identifies, he chronicles this, if you will, how culture has lost its grip and how culture loses its grip. Listen. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged. Now, Paul's right here. This is what captured my heart about this passage in relation to hold fast. We may think, man, when we lose our grip, we go from something we had in our hands to empty-handed. And that's not what the scripture says. When we lose our grip, it's not that we only lost something. It's ultimately that we take something and we exchange it. We put something else and put it in our hands and hold on to it. Do you see the difference? The Romans describes there's an exchange that happens. Well, you can't exchange without releasing your grip on something. But understand, when you do exchange, you release your grip so that you can take hold of something else. So watch. They exchange the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over because of that exchange over in the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged, another one, a second one, the truth. They released their grip. They lost their grip on truth, absolute truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Watch the next exchange. For this reason, God gave them over to their degrading passions for their women exchanged the natural. They let go of it. And what did they take hold of? The unnatural. Now, I paused in the text there, but what follows? And the men did the same thing the women did. If you ever wonder about the wisdom, the insight of Scripture, just Look at scripture and then look at history and you see it happening just like the scripture said it would. When you lose your grip, you don't go from full-handed to empty-handed. You go from gripping one thing to then gripping something else. And watch, there's a downward progression here. They exchanged first The glory of God. They exchange a view of God as glorious and creator. And once they exchange the glory of God and they took on a lesser view of God and a greater view of themselves, then what that led to what next exchange? Truth. Then they exchanged truth for a lie. And once they had exchanged truth for a lie, then what did they exchange next? The natural for the unnatural, the intent of God for their own intent. I'm not sure 
Well, I am sure. I had not seen the, the progression with this much clarity in the past and still studying First Thess 5 and then going to this passage, Romans 1, and seeing. And I hope you'll capture it. It always begins, folks, with our view of God. Because once God becomes less than glorious and he becomes like any other created thing instead of the creator, then we're going to exchange truth because there is no reason to take God's word as authoritative truth if God is not glorious. If God is not greater than us, then his thoughts are not greater than us. And if his thoughts are not greater than us, then there's no reason to hold on to truth. And if his truth is not greater than our truth, then I am free to live according to the intent of my heart instead of the intent of his heart. You follow? It goes from who God is to then what God has said to then what I want. So my conviction from this passage led me to in January of next year, we'll start in Genesis because it all starts with God. And we're going to start in Genesis 1 and we're going to go through the book of Genesis in 2020 within the beginning, God created. Uh, this is just it's the preview for one of the first messages right there. <laughs> you think, oh, it's just the first four words. Folks, the downward spiral begins when you begin to reinterpret the first four words. That's crazy, isn't it? How quickly... You can get off track when you lose the first four words of the scripture. In the beginning, God created. Hmm. So, we'll be challenged. Then, the Lord used that progression to help me be Reminded, and I hope this will encourage you because you're growing. This is why we do a worship service the way we do. Because what do we do in a worship service? How do we start the first 20, 30 minutes of every worship service? Lifting up the, the glory of who God is and what he has done for us in Christ. Because that's where it starts. And then where do we move? To the truth of God. And we open up our scriptures and we declare, this is God's word. His ways are higher than my ways. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. I am not going to lean on my understanding. And then we unfold the scriptures. Always, and this is what I hope you have discovered is this, is one of our distinctives at CFC to not only teach the scriptures accurately but to teach them applicationally because truth leads to intent in other words a glorious God has spoken let's hear and let's go do what he intends us to do hey that's a worship service folks and I hope with maybe some fresh clarity as we go into year end and we hit the new year, that you will see it's not a box to check. It's not just something to do. This is war for your soul. What we do in a worship service is war for your soul, not getting caught in the downward exchange of the glory of God to the truth of God to the intent of our hearts. This is why we do what we do. And now, here is some admonishment for the growing. When we skip it, we're fools. We give up a battle in the big war. 
It's a battle we lose because we end up going for a longer period of time without the glory of God and the truth of God and the intent of God lifted up again in our hearts by which we would then engage in a culture that has already made the exchange. And when we skip, we set ourselves up for the exchange to happen in our own hearts and souls. So I am not here to say, if you want to go to heaven, you got to go to church every Sunday. Because that would be, that would be me saying God said something that he didn't say. What I am saying, we're going to make exchanges in our hearts if we are not lifting up the glory of God and the truth of God and the intent of God. That we need. That's what he has declared. So let's be wise and not lose weekly battles and somehow then be surprised when our life comes apart at the seams. When we examine, God said it, I'm going to hold fast to it. We can then do the, the second overflow. From every form of evil, abstain. From every form of evil, stop. From every form of evil, avoid. From every form of evil, put away. See, it has the double blessing of gaining by discarding. The, it's not an accident that these inspired words go together. Examine everything carefully. Hold on to that which is good. Abstain from that which is evil because part of being able to hold on to the good is abstaining from that which is evil. You can't, folks, we can't hold on to the good and the evil. Any form of it. Any more, any more that I can say, I'm going to hold on to the, to the good relationship called marriage, but not abstain from selfishness. You see how they don't go together? I can't hold on to the good without abstaining from the evil. And a man cannot hold on to the good gift of marriage without abstaining from lust. You can't hold on without abstain. But when you abstain, then you can hold on. You can't hold on to the good of the righteousness of Christ without, friends, listen, abstaining from your self-righteousness. No one is motivated toward righteousness by your self-righteousness. They're just put off to righteousness by your self-righteousness. So it's we gain. It's almost like, hey, I freed up a hand. You see, if I abstain, if I let go, if I avoid and put away that which is easy, hey, I got, a, I got another hand to hold on. And we need our hands to hold on. Some of us screw up with the King James Version. Avoid every appearance of evil. And therefore the thought was, if somebody thinks it's evil, then avoid it because it's evil. But that's not what he's saying here. When he says every form of evil, he's not saying that which isn't evil, but some people think is evil, so abstain from it because Jesus didn't do that. Jesus was consistently harassed for doing things that people thought was evil. So every form of evil, not perceived evil by others. Don't get lost with that. Every appearance of evil. Because you start 
going, well, what do you think is evil? What do you think is evil? What do you think is evil? What do you think? And I got this long list of what everybody thinks is evil, and I, I, I got to avoid all of that. That's not, see, that's a, an unfortunate application of avoid every appearance of evil. What he's saying is evil can show up in big ways, in drastic ways, and in little ways. And you and I are prone to go, well, I don't do the big stuff. But we learn to live with the, the cameo appearances. The little appearances. Uh, the scripture calls it this way. The little foxes that rob the vineyard. So it's not perceived evil by others, but evil as declared by God. This, this is why you see, I hope you see the beauty of these three encouragements together. All things examined. So you know, if God said it, man, I'm not going to despise it. If he didn't say it, I'm not going to put divine authority to it. If he did say it, I'm going to hold on to it. If he did say it, I'm going to abstain from it. But it starts with all things examined. I get the picture of this in Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run. How? With endurance. See, when I, when I read this, you, you think of an endurance runner. And there's something unique about endurance runners versus NFL players. NFL players who are great come in all sorts of sizes and shapes. You ever notice that? There's guys who were lean and tall and fast in the Hall of Fame, and there's guys who were short and squatty and powerful, and there's guys who were extra large and wide, and they were all great. But you have a great marathoner. They all look exactly the same, don't they? Oh, they look all exactly the same. Like, yep, mm -hmm, there you go. You don't see any extra large, wide Olympic marathoners. Why? Because in order to hold to the fast, hold fast to the good, you got to let go of all the entanglements. You got to lose the weights if you're going to run with endurance. That's the combination. All things examined carefully. To the good, hold fast. Don't lose your grip. To the evil, get rid of it. It's going to slow you down. Now, caution here. You might listen to this message and go, oh, so I gain favor with God by being good. By abstaining from what was evil and holding on to the good. So really, Christianity is a morality thing. Hear me clearly. Here's what the Lord said. For you have been saved by grace through faith and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not by works. So that no one would... Get the big head that I earned this so that no one would ever be truly self-righteous. So hear me. A relationship with God is not about stopping doing things and holding on to other things. A relationship with God is admitting I am a sinner in need of a Savior, and only the Son of God, Jesus, who lived a sinless life, could pay this debt. I could never pay it myself. I could only trust in him to make me a new person, to forgive me, to redeem me. So, watch, so that I might now, having been made righteous, begin to live righteously. Please don't hear me. Don't go try to be righteous. 
be made righteous through Jesus and then learn to live in that righteousness by holding on to who he's made you and by letting go, abstaining from that which you used to be. That's the hope of the gospel. So to make sure we go, it's not about this stuff. (laughs) It's about Jesus. I want us to, to remember Jesus as the scripture instructs us to do in 1 Corinthians 11, if you want to examine it. He talks about taking the Lord's Supper. And as we take the Lord's Supper, that passage, 1 Corinthians 11, says three things, three actions for us to do. First of all, do it in remembrance of Jesus and him. Remember what he has done for you, all right? Do it in remembrance of him. And so as the guys come forward with the elements, they're going to pass simply a plate with unleavened cracker. It's the reminder of Jesus was broken, even though he was sinless. He was broken on your behalf. And Jesus forgives those who trust in him. Because he was righteous, he can make you righteous. So remember Jesus. Second, he says, examine yourselves. So don't miss this. You listening? Examine the scriptures and then examine yourself. Have you been made righteous through faith in Jesus? And if you have been made righteous through Jesus, are you living in that righteousness? So as the men are passing, would you take just a quiet moment in your seat to examine, have I been made new through faith in Jesus? And if I have, am I living in that newness by abstaining and holding on? If in any way you have been made righteous and are living righteous, Confess that to the Lord. If you thought you needed to be righteous in order to become righteous, confess that and invite Jesus and his death, his burial, and his resurrection to make you righteous. Take this moment quietly. Talk to the Lord privately. Treasure, wellspring of my soul. 
take the Lord's Supper, we remember his death. We examine ourselves. And then it says, and we proclaim his death until he comes. And that's really what we just did there. We proclaim that, that our trust is in our Redeemer, not in our righteousness. We proclaim that our worth is not in what we do or what we own. It's what has been done for us. We proclaim that he is our treasure. He is the wellspring of our soul. We proclaim that in him we find our satisfaction. So as we take these elements in this moment, take them in remembrance of Jesus, having examined your own heart, and now proclaiming he is your life. Let's take this together. Would you stand with me and let us declare our great gratitude for the cross of our Savior. the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. May your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ.